How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to 19-Year-Old Shrink. This is Will John Grande. It's currently 10 p.m. on Monday, so this episode's gonna be a buzzer beater. Now today, we're gonna talk about the power of meditation. And if you're not a meditator, after this talk, you might be thinking, oh man, this dude's been drinking the Kool-Aid. He must be on something. And if I listened to myself speak about this now when I was a senior in high school, I'd be thinking the exact same thing. My dad would always talk about the power of meditation and visualization. And one specific example of this is when he was coaching me in basketball. There was a stretch where I was absolute garbage at making free throws. Absolute garbage. And he would say to me, Will, lie down in your bed for 10 minutes and visualize yourself making the shots. It works. And I'd be like, you're out of your mind. Who are you? And anytime he would bring this up and encourage my siblings to do this, I would mock it. And that's not only meditation, but everything surrounding personal development. Any of the topics I've discussed so far, I was making fun of my dad for two years back. (laughs) What a difference a small amount of time makes. But he was right. Meditation really does work if you commit to it. And again, many of my points today that I'll be making are attributed to Dr. Joe Dispenza, who is a world-renowned neuroscientist. And you can call me biased, but if you've ever been in a rut and were just like, I don't know what to do anymore, Joe Dispenza is the person you need to listen to. I'm not kidding. Because with myself and others, the reason change can be so intimidating is that we're told we have to constantly be taking physical action in our external world to change. And that scared the crap out of me. Because if we still cling to the same belief about ourselves or doubt that we've been holding on to for years, choosing to act in a way that doesn't relate to our belief is a tough ask. But Dr. Joe, he focuses so much on creating an entirely new world through the thoughts we have that when I listened to him, it was an easier starting point and I felt so empowered to change because all I needed to do was start with a thought. And he emphasized that thoughts determine the quality of our lives. Because many of us wake up in the morning and the first thing we do is begin thinking about our problems. And all these problems are memories that are associated with a specific person, place, or time in their past. And right off the bat, we're subconsciously choosing to live our day in the past. And what makes a problem a problem is not the event, person, or time in our life, it's the emotion we attach to it. This is going back to what I had mentioned in an earlier episode, where two people could have the same event happen to them, but one has a completely different emotion attached to it. So here's an example. Two guys both get cheated on by their girlfriend, or two girls by their boyfriend. One can have the emotion of complete anger and frustration towards life associated with that person and event. This is the problem they continue to rehearse in the morning. Another person has the emotion of gratefulness because they know that that person wasn't for them and they're getting closer to finding the person who is for them. Obviously, that's easier said than done, but this is just used as an example to show that two people can have completely different reactions to a very similar event. But back to that person that's constantly rehearsing their problems in the morning. Merely the thought of that person or event that they experienced in their past triggers an emotion in their body each time they think about it. And Dr. Dispenza, he refers to thoughts as the language of the brain and feelings as the language of the body. And your thought of this event, which is in the past, signals to the body to feel this emotion, which throws the body into the past as well. And you might be like, well, I don't wake up immediately and feel problems every morning. Well, sometimes we might start off feeling very fresh and ready for the day. And we notice, wow, this feels weird. And we start searching for that feeling associated with the past emotion because it has become such a normal part of who we are. 
So we might feel very clear, but then say, oh, we're off schedule and then look for those thoughts to drive us back to the past because that is the known and the comfortable, even if it's not benefiting us. This is what we know as our emotional home. So T-Rob, Tony Robbins, he describes the building of a certain belief or emotional home as a table. So a table can't work if it doesn't have the support or the legs underneath it to help stand up. The same applies to belief. It won't work unless we have more evidence, more people, events, places to build the legs underneath it. The more evidence we have to support it, the harder that table or belief is to knock down. And once it gets really strong, it becomes automatic and leads to us subconsciously looking for it when we wake up. And that belief that we have is no longer a belief, it just becomes us. And when we're constantly looking to the same people or events to help satisfy that emotion, we're producing the same chemistry in the brain and body as if the event was actually occurring in that moment. So those events that were very traumatic for us are not only living in that singular moment, but when we rehearse it in the morning or throughout our day, we're producing the same authentic feeling of that experience for us every time the thought comes up. Now, let's say there's something you want in your life, whether that be a relationship, a more fulfilling job or overall happiness. And we might wonder, well, I really want this and I've been thinking a lot about it, but nothing's happened. (laughs) This has happened to me all the time. And this all goes back to the word emotion, because we may be aware of what we want and know we can get better. But if we're seeking something that has the emotion of love, freedom and possibility attached to it, but we're holding on to jealousy, anger and feeling inferior, there's no way that you can attract those things into your life. This is where it's going to get a little sciency. And this is where you'll think I've been sipping on the Kool-Aid again, though. I myself am not a doctor, but I'm using what I've learned from Dr. Dispenza to help me explain it to you. So he mentions how we all have a magnetic field around us. We have a positive charge towards the top of our head and a negative towards the bottom. And every thought that we have is a frequency which produces a chemical. So let's say you keep obsessing that you feel alone or don't have enough money. All the things you lack, it's moving from your head where the thought is being produced to your second energy center, which is in your gut. And then you start having a snowball effect where you continue to think all these negative thoughts, all of them start to stack on top of each other. And once you start pulling all this negative energy from your outer environment, whether it be this guy pissed me off today, my dog took the biggest crap in the house, my kid punched another kid at school, whatever, you begin taking energy from that magnetic field and then it just becomes like an old piece of metal. Once you take that energy, the field starts to shrink and you no longer have the possibility of attracting what you want into your life. So the magnetic field we have in our life responds to emotions, not merely thoughts. That's why we have the thoughts, oh, I want this or this would be nice. But our field continues to shrink because we're looking for emotions outside of us that don't match the ones that we're feeling. We're looking for love, joy and happiness. But what we have inside is a lot of jealousy, comparison, anger and other such emotions. And not only are we not attracting what we want into our life, but the information that we're receiving on a daily basis is only consistent with the emotions that we're feeling. So if we're feeling anger, if we're feeling hate, everything in our external environment is going to reflect that. And this concept's tied to the reticular activating system, which Ed Milet is a guy who brings this up all the time. Basically, the RAS filters out all the things that aren't necessary for us to pay attention to or aren't important to us. So perfect example of this, <laughs> I'm a big wings guy, wasn't always like that, but my friend took me to Wingstop one day and I never even saw the place in my life because it wasn't important to me. And let me tell you, it's a hell of an experience. Now I go there every week, get the 15 piece original hot, 
boneless. That's right, I said boneless. A lot of bone-in people hate on us boneless people for some weird reason, but let's be honest here. It's so much more efficient getting boneless. But anyways, all of a sudden I start seeing all these ads about Wingstop and their promotions because it became important to me. I had a good experience associated with that place. Now the question is, did those ads just start popping up after I went there for the first time? Or did the RAS draw more attention to them after I had an enjoyable experience associated with them? No, <laughs> they were always there. Wingstop was established before I had it for the first time. But once I had an experience attached to it, my reticular activating system put more attention on it for me. Now, back to these negative emotions we continue to feel. If we continue to choose the negative feelings and events to support them, there could still be a ton of positive evidence out there, but our RAS isn't receptive to it because those emotions haven't become familiar with us. That's why we cannot attract those emotions we want in our life when we're still living in the memories of the past. Now, how do you attract these positive emotions into your life? This is something I'm still working on, and it starts with the practice of meditation. Keyword here is practice, because if you simply were successful in the meditation and then went out into the world, started flipping people off, cutting people online, and just being a straight up ass, then it's not going to mean much. But if you don't practice, when game time comes, you won't be prepared. So here we go. I'm going to assume that at one point in your life, there's been something that you didn't think you could achieve because you'd never experienced it before. You didn't have any evidence for it. Or you're holding on to a doubt that you really just didn't know how to eliminate because it's been with you for so long. But then you're like, I'm going to hop into this meditation. We'll see what we can do here. And you get distracted during it. You want to go get coffee, maybe watch The Office or look for something outside to fulfill that lack of stimulation that you're getting when you meditate. So you go through the practice not really paying attention. We've all done it. And just last week, I started the stuff that Dr. Dispenza recommended, but I realized I needed to go in with a plan. So this is what I did. I knew I needed to have some sort of focus in my meditation to help trigger that feeling of abundance or just enthusiasm because oftentimes I get too familiar with the feeling of jealousy or perfection or whatever else is limiting me. Those were my emotional homes. So what I did is I wrote down two lists of five separate positive events in my life. The first list is five positive events in my life that were so memorable that they contradicted whatever negative emotional home I used to go to. And you need to be specific about them. Like I mean very, very specific. And you might be saying, well, <laughs> I don't remember any events like that. I thought the same thing too. You just got to dig a little bit deeper and keep thinking. What always helps me is thinking about my childhood. And that's why I had that poll on my Instagram asking what your favorite childhood memory was to just plant that seed for you when you're meditating. And the reason I think about childhood events is that these times were before I had any true responsibilities or a limitation ever crossed my mind. So my event was the swimming invitation at Westchester Hills when I was seven. But again, you can't stop there. You have to be very specific. I began writing about me using the blue kickboard and how we all had 4th of July paint and tchotchkes that we were wearing when we swam. Then I think about going to the snack bar after my race and high-fiving my mom who was helping time the meet. And I'd be so excited to go get the chipwich, that like ice cream sandwich from Jesus at the snack bar. And then I would run over there. Then the lifeguards would be like, no running on the pool deck. This is how specific you need to be. And from there, after writing about five events in the past that trigger the emotion I'm looking for, 
I created five events in my head that haven't happened yet, but would be a really cool experience. And then when I'm finally sitting down during the meditation, I would merge these 10 events together. That way I'm giving the future events that I want to happen proof that I've experienced a similar emotion before in my life. And by doing that, I begin recognizing that those possibilities are out there. And by being very specific, I'm able to create that image clearly in my mind so that I can start feeling that emotion. And once you start feeling that emotion, you don't have to have as much structure in your meditation. The events start to be created on their own because you created that emotion in your body. And then you're beginning to attract them into your mind. And when you're doing this, focus your attention on your heart. Imagine that these events that you're replaying in your head are happening in your heart. The reason you do this, as Dr. Dispenza mentioned, is because 95% of the energy is stored in your body and 5% is stored in your brain. And when you start focusing your attention so much on your heart, this creates oxytocin, which then goes into the amygdala. And in the amygdala, we can have all these survival emotions such as fear, aggression, pain, whatever. But once that oxytocin reaches the amygdala, it shuts off those survival emotions and creates that feeling of abundance, love, excitement, joy. And that feeling begins to travel up to the brain and you begin going to alpha brain patterns. So that's when you're in your creative state. Those are those brain patterns. When you're no longer focusing on the limitations in your mind, but the possibilities of the future. And once all this energy is flowing to the positive part of that magnet, it creates a stronger magnetic field and opens you up to attracting even greater things in your life. This is known as brain and heart coherence. That's why we can't simply think about these thoughts and meditation. We need to feel them in our heart so they can become attracted to us. Now you're beginning to rewire your brain and the neurons that used to fire and wire together are being dismantled. And as time progresses, which I'm still in the early stages as well, <laughs> I'm still so new to this, but those things you wanted, you no longer have the need for because you already feel like you have them. So in the beginning, you were able to trick your body into thinking it was in the past negative emotions. And now you're able to use the future you're conjuring up in your mind to trick your body into feeling the emotions before the event happens. And these emotions are positive. And this is where time slows down because when you feel in lack, you're impatient, you're trying to force things to happen. Whereas when you feel fulfilled, we don't want the moment to end. But we also have to acknowledge that some days are gonna be tough. <laughs> there will still be those moments where you want to get the hell up because you have stuff to do. But you always have to tell yourself, my mind is in control. If you haven't experienced and overcome those feelings of lack in the beginning parts of your day, those are going to carry with you in every area of your life. So telling your body, I'm going to sit here until I feel that emotion is the most important part. As he puts it, this is the process of overcoming, 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 and becoming. Now you also may be like, well, I do everything well in the meditation, but it all goes to crap when I start my day. How do I keep the success going when I'm interacting with the external environment? And this doubt is completely, completely normal. Because for me, if I'm doing schoolwork or something that requires a lot of mental energy and I become frustrated with it, I take my attention off those future goals and focus more on this problem. And then I start finding problems of the past to help support it. And I just keep going down that rabbit hole. So I mentioned in the previous episode, you know, about my real estate internship. This is a perfect example. Of course, I'm not thinking about this internship in my meditation but then you eventually got to go to work. And once I'm there, I didn't know what to do. I started asking questions and started reverting back to those feelings of comparison because I'm not picking up on something that others have. But what to remember when you're choosing to do this type of meditation is you're saying that you have complete control over your life. You're banking on yourself creating those emotions 
in your heart so that you can live a better life. So you have the ability to generate a certain energy that attracts those things that you want. But when we fall into that feeling again, it isn't consistent with that goal of the meditation, recognizing that you are in control of your life. So what we can do is recognize that we are in control of our emotions. And when those feelings come up in our day, we become more of the conscious observers rather than the people being programmed by our thoughts. We're no longer the victim of our environment. But it's also important to know that those reactions are going to come up every single day. You're going to react. But again, he mentions the real question is how long is it going to last? Because everybody recovers, but the great are able to get up and keep going a lot quicker than those average people who take a long time and start dwelling on the past. And another thing that I've been doing is just continuously feeding myself the knowledge that I've been learning. So I started saying, you know, this makes sense why I'm reacting to this. If my emotional home, what I usually go back to is feeling jealous or comparing myself to others, this little thing coming up makes sense. So I become more accepting of it rather than trying to resist it. And when you try and resist a feeling, it's going to continuously come up. And I also say this feeling has been wired into me for so many years. So it's going to take some time to unwire it. I kind of give myself a break and it makes it easier to keep going. And by doing that again, I continue to support that identity of being the creator of my life, not the victim of it. So now, guys, what I want to ask you is, where are those areas in your life? First off, what are those moments you can remember from your past that support the moments that you want to remember from your future, those emotions? And I'm still in the early stages of this journey, but knowing that we can use our thoughts to benefit us in the same way that they hurt us in the past can allow us to become those who anticipate instead of react. And then also we can create these emotions before the event actually happened. Once we can do that, we no longer live in lack. We become the magnets. We attract those very emotions that have been put into our minds because of the work that we've been doing. And I know I'm throwing a lot of information at you guys, but this stuff has definitely helped me and I know it can help you guys. And again, (laughs) my senior year self would be making fun of me so much right now, but it's really good knowing that just changing our thoughts can really just change our life as a whole. And I can't wait to hear about your experiences with this. I've provided a lot of resources for Joe Dispenza on my podcast page, 19 year old shrink podcast on Instagram. And then I also have my personal page as well, which is WJG 23. But I hope you guys took a lot away from this and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Take care guys.